You're listening to the Blended Family Podcast, a weekly show with a strong focus on strategies and methods to help your family thrive. Blended families face many difficulties and challenges, which can sometimes drive families apart. The goal of this podcast is to help your blended family grow together through these challenges to create the peaceful and loving home you desire. Here is your host, Melissa. Hi, you're joining me for episode 229 of the Blended Family Podcast. We just had our Independence Day last week. We had our July 4th celebrations. That's why I didn't put out a show last week. I was taking a little bit of a break. We didn't really do anything because I've been so tired lately. I know I keep saying that. And I'm wondering how you all are doing because my husband and I feel like, is it just us that we are so exhausted all the time? I don't know. But my good news this week is actually yesterday I saw a kinesiologist and I had never seen one of those before because I'm still trying to find out the source of my pain and it's been a real nightmare for me. So one of our clients has this guy that they fly in once a year and so we saw him and he immediately diagnosed my problem. Like in two minutes flat, he knows what's wrong with me. I have a faulty SI joint and an SI ligament that's causing me trouble and it was just amazing. I've been in pain for two years and in a five-minute appointment, he knew exactly what I need to do. I just need to wear a belt for a little bit, and I need to obviously um, start working on some other lifestyle changes as well and figure out why this is happening and exercise and all of that. But I'm I'm kind of thrilled that I have a source of my pain after all this time because I was starting to feel so helpless about it all. So it's an easy fix. It's just going to take a little bit of work. Um Obviously, my cleaning job is probably what most likely did this to me. Uh, After 14 years of diving in and out of bathtubs and climbing on things and scrubbing, just kind of put my body in a little bit of a wreck. So, uh, So that was actually good news. So other than that, there are a lot of current events going on that I do not want to talk about today, um, namely the child sex trafficking and the political scandals and conspiracy theories that you might want to call them that are going around. I'm going to wait. This is stuff that I've had on my pea brain for a long time now, and I've been wanting to talk to you guys about things on that end and things also on a spiritual nature, but both really topics not for this show, so I'm kind of waiting to see how things play out, and I might I might make a special show to talk about some of these issues, but I'm not going to really do that today. Although there is tons of stuff going on in the news, and um, I don't want you guys to think I'm ignoring that stuff, especially the child sex trafficking. That's what I've been researching for months now. I'm just not ready to talk about it. And if you want to do the research, there's plenty of places to find it. And if you want to privately message me uh, and discuss anything on that nature, we can. But I'm going to just still gloss over that for right now. Uh, and I've got a great show for you today, actually. I've got an interview with a great guy on leadership, Timothy Clark, and you're going to really enjoy this interview as well as I'm going to be giving away a copy of his book at the very end, so make sure you stay tuned to the end so you can uh, find out how to receive a copy of that, but I think you're going to really enjoy his show today. He's he's actually an expert on leadership, so you might think, well, why are you having a leadership expert on the Blended Family podcast? But leadership is a really big part of running a blended family. As parents, 
parents are leaders, right? We're leading our our family, we're leading our blended family, and we really need to know how to do that correctly. And so that's why that guest is going to be here for you today. So I really do hope that you do enjoy the interview. Feedback can always be sent to me, Melissa at blendedfamilypodcast.com, as well as other topic ideas that you want to hear on the show or your questions. Please rate and review the podcast in iTunes, share it with a friend. And I hope you guys have a wonderful week. Enjoy. Hello, I'm so excited today to have Timothy Clark here. Tim is the founder and CEO of Leader Factor, and he's based in Salt Lake City, Utah. He's the author of five books and has extensive leadership skills. The book we'll be discussing in this conversation today is called The Four Stages of Psychological Safety, but Tim has written more than 150 articles on leadership, change, strategy, human capital, culture, and employee engagement. He is a highly sought-after advisor, coach, and facilitator to CEOs and senior leadership teams, and he's worked with leading organizations around the world, but I think you'll see in this interview, he's going to explain how the information is just as relevant in the home as it is in the workplace. Welcome to the show, Tim. Thanks, Melissa. I'm delighted to be with you. Great. Now, I know you do a lot in the corporate space, which is extremely helpful when you're blending a whole bunch of people from different backgrounds and environments, and we want them to work well together. But that's really what we do when we bring a blended family together, isn't it? Maybe on a smaller scale, but we're doing the same thing. And it's more difficult because we're actually living with these people. So there's a little bit more at stake. So I think this show is going to be really interesting for the listeners who might be having a little bit of a struggle trying to get their blended family to run more smoothly. But before we begin, Tim, why don't you give us just a little bit of background about you and what brought you to the line of work that you do now? Sure. Well, I guess it's kind of accidental, Melissa, as it is with many people. Uh, life takes different turns. So I started out with the intent to be a professor. And I did a PhD in social science at Oxford University. My wife and I, we had to come back to the States before I was all the way done with my research. And I had to go find a job uh, before I finished. And so that took me into business. And we never we never really left. So I'm, uh, I've stayed in kind of the, the business and the corporate world and I've only taught part-time. Uh, but what I've found is that really, I'm just teaching anyway. I'm just teaching practitioners. I'm just teaching people that work in organizations. Um, but uh, the, the career path has taken a little bit of a different turn, but I don't regret that at all. It's been a fantastic opportunity because I get to work with people across different industries and sectors of society, including um, uh, healthcare and education and technology and government. And so I, I love the variety of that. Yeah, that sounds interesting. So the book today that we're talking about is called The Four Stages of Psychological Safety. So first, I want you to define what psychological safety means And then I want you to tell us who the book can help because it's not just for corporations and it's not just for families. So 
For the listeners, please keep in mind as you listen today, who else do you know that might benefit from the information today in whatever capacity? Um, today, of course, we're going to apply the information to the blended family unit. Um, so go ahead, Tim, tell us what psychological safety means and who this book is for. Psychological safety means that it's not expensive to be yourself. So think about that for a minute. And when I say expensive, I mean socially expensive, emotionally expensive, politically expensive, economically expensive. It's not expensive to be yourself. Now the research on this topic goes back a few years. And here's what we found. We found that in a social setting, now in this case, let's think about the blended family. In a social setting, sometimes we find that people are not, they do not feel safe to interact and to participate and to be themselves. And when they don't, when there's a sense of fear, that changes their behavior. And this is what we have consistently found. It changes their behavior because in, in an environment where you don't feel safe, that triggers what we call the self-censoring instinct. So let's, let's all think about that. We all have a self-censoring instinct. That means that when we perceive that the social setting, that the environment, that in this case, the home environment is not safe, then we're gonna censor ourselves. And how do we do that? We retreat, we retrench, and we manage personal risk. So psychological safety is creating an environment where this, that, that safety is there. And so then what does that do? It draws us out. We're able to engage and interact and participate the way that we would like to in a, in a healthy way. So that's a basic definition, Melissa. That's wonderful. So I imagine that this can help pretty much, this can apply almost to everyone in any situation that is in any type of group of people, right? In a school setting for teachers, probably um, coaches, right? Yes, as a matter of fact, it's interesting. I, when, when I first pitched this book to my publisher, it, I mean, the, the first question they ask is, well, well who's the audience? And I said, well, I'm writing to the human family. And they kind of laughed and said, well, yeah, but who's your primary audience? And, and I've, really, I've really wrestled with this. So you'll see that in the book I say, now I'm writing primarily to business people, managers, but the reality is that uh, this book is for the entire human family, because it doesn't matter what the social unit is or the social setting is. We are human beings and we interact. And one of our biggest challenges is the way that we interact. There's broken human interaction everywhere. And this is, this is the topic that we take up in this book because there are definitely, there, there are patterns that we know that we need to follow in order to be successful. And we also know where the quicksand is too many of us step in too often. And so it has complete application in a blended family environment. So you're, you're completely right. 
Yeah. And as parents, we are supposed to be the leaders of our families. And we all know that with a blended family, we're having basically two leaders come from separate traditional families that they had coming together. And sometimes there's some butting of heads. Sometimes the leadership is way off. It's all new to everybody. So Tim, can you talk about the importance of leadership in a family unit and what happens when it's not established properly? Sure. So let's talk about the what what's happening when you're bringing the two families together. First of all, each family that comes together, each of those families has been knocked out of its equilibrium. So it is in a state of transition, each family. So it's been knocked out of its orbit. It's been disrupted. So when those families are coming together, they're in a state of disruption or disequilibrium. And that's not easy. That's, that's, so already we have some big challenges to face as we're, as we're coming together. So we know that we're in a state of transition. Now, here's another point that I'll make that I think is very important for your listeners. And we know this based on the study of culture. The most profound unit of culture is what we call the microculture. And the basic unit of culture is the family. And so we know that. We also know, and we have what we call the culture formation hypothesis, which says, that the single most important factor in the creation of that culture is the modeling behavior of the leaders. And so if we have a blended family, we have these spouses that are coming together from different families and they're creating a new family, they're in transition. And so now they're gonna go through a formation process and that formation process is going to take some time. During that formation process, the modeling behavior of those parents will be the single most important thing that determines the health and the strength and the success of that family. So we know that. And so now let's connect it to psychological safety. So the question is, will those parents that are bringing this, this blended family together, what are they going to model? So we, we know it's a foregone conclusion that they're gonna model. We all model, the only question is what? So if they model psychological safety, and by the way, during, during the formation process, the blended family formation process, that psychological safety becomes extra critical because uh, the, the, the state of vulnerability is so high for every member of that family that there has to be an, an enormous amount of give and take, an enormous amount of patience, an enormous amount of love to help in that formation process. And so the psychological safety has got to be there. If it's not there, then you'll see in the early stages of, of formation, that members of the family, what are they gonna do? If, if, if they feel fear and that fear triggers the, their self-censoring instinct, then they're gonna retreat. They're not going to engage and they're not gonna contribute very much uh, in the formation process. So mm -hmm. why don't, I'll just start with that. 
Melissa. I hope that's helpful to your listeners. That's extremely helpful. And do you have maybe just a tip on at those beginning stages that could help parents maybe join together as leaders instead of coming apart? Do you have any tips for parents so that they could get on the same page right away? Sure. I'll give you a couple of tips. Number one, prepare to be wrong. So you have to prepare yourself emotionally and psychologically to be wrong. And you need to go in with that attitude and that temperament and that mindset. You're not going to have all the answers. So you're going to go in with, with prepare to be wrong and go in with the attitude of extreme collaboration and extreme openness. And then here's the other tip. Uh, you've got to be able to tolerate dissent. Now, what I mean by that is that you're, you're naturally going to go through a process where, where members of the family are going to test the limits. <laughs> They're going to challenge. They're going to challenge you. They're going to challenge what's going on. And you have to prepare yourself psychologically for that dissent for that disagreement and you have to give them a license to disagree because what's happening is that in that formation process, you're putting in place new norms. So the terms of engagement have not yet been established. That's happening now. And so as that happens, there has to be a lot of latitude, a lot of leeway, a lot of patience, and a lot of forgiveness during that process. So those are a couple of tips, Melissa, that I would share that might be helpful right out of the gates. Thank you. Those are really, really great. And I love what you said, because I think one of the biggest problems about newly forming families is that they don't think about those kind of things because nobody wants to, right? You're in the honeymoon stage, you're excited. It's got that new relationship energy and you don't want to think about the negative things that could happen. You don't almost don't even want to talk about them. And because we don't talk about them, that's when we have a problem because we don't expect it. And so I love what you said, go in expecting and understanding that, yeah, there's going to be challenges and disagreements. It's wonderful for you to say that. Thank you. All right, so let's get into the meat of the book. I want you to break down the four stages one at a time. And as we go through them, I would love for you to define what they mean and then give us both some ways to improve it in our blended family, as well as maybe tell us some things that we might be doing wrong. So if we start with the first one, which is inclusion safety, I know this is really big in blended families because children coming in can often feel excluded in the new unit. So especially with yeah. new siblings. So please let's talk about that one first. Sure. So stage one, as you say, is inclusion safety. Inclusion safety means that you are accepted that you fit in, that you have been invited into another society and that you're part of that, that you have membership, that you have joint identity. This is the foundation of all psychological safety. It's the foundation. It's, and, now, and here's the thing that's very, very important to understand. The only requirement that you be given Inclusion safety is that you're human, that you possess flesh and blood. 
So the way that I like to say it is that worth precedes worthiness. So we're not talking about your worthiness here. We're not talking about what you de- uh, what you're what you've earned, because inclusion safety is something that you actually are entitled to. It's something that you earn by virtue of the fact that you're human. You're entitled to it. That's extremely important going in to uh, blended family formation. So that's the operating assumption that we have, is that we're all entitled to inclusion safety based on our inherent worth. We could talk about worthiness later, but that's that's not the discussion right now. The, the discussion right now is that we invite each other into our respective societies, and we're going to create this new blended family. So that's, this is, you, you just don't pass go until you establish this foundation of inclusion safety to which we're all entitled. So that's, that's what inclusion safety is all about. Okay, good. And so how, tell us how we can improve that right off the, the get-go with the blended family and also tell us maybe what we might be doing wrong. Well, I'm not, I'm certainly not an expert in this area, Melissa, as you are, but I think that when it comes to inclusion safety, I think that it's important to be explicit with the members of the family about the way that, that, that we value each other, about the way that we're communicating, the way that we love and value and respect each other. Now, let me step back and say this. So psychological safety overall is based on a combination of two things. Number one, respect. And number two, the permission to participate. So it's the intersection of respect and permission. And when we go in, when any member goes into a blended family, he or she can intuitively feel a level of respect and a level of permission. They can perceive that. And so I think it's, I think it's the stewardship and the responsibility of the, certainly the parents to set the tone mm-hmm. and to establish the norm of inclusion, inclusion safety based on respect and permission to participate. Now, one of the things that I mentioned in my book is that the way that we do that is that we have to eliminate any what we call arbitrary distinction. So in a blended family, what that means is that we, there's no preferential treatment. We don't have favorite children. We don't have, there's no superiority, any kind of theory of superiority by which we govern a blended family, that's never going to work. And so we got to throw all that out. We call those junk theories. Any kind of junk theory of superiority, we just clear the decks of all of that. It's all nonsense. Every member of the family is entitled to that respect and that permission to participate. If, If the parents can establish those terms of engagement and communicate those ahead of time and 
and make sure that those are clear and that that's the expectation, then that is extremely, I think, liberating to people from the beginning, the members of that family. It's going to be hard enough. But if people know from the beginning and the parents have been explicit about the fact that everyone's entitled to that respect, that permission and that inclusion safety, I think you're off to a good start. Yeah, and that is a really good answer. You know, I've done episodes before where I've talked about energy and no matter what you believe about energy, energy is real and people can feel your energy. You know, it's I talk about it all the time and you said that people can kind of feel it whether there's inclusion or not. And I believe that that's totally true. Even when some people, whether it's siblings or parents, step parents try to act like everything's fine. You can feel it when it's not. You really have to guard your energy and what you're putting out there. Of course, we can't help the way that we feel, but what are you putting out? Because there's a big difference in mm -hmm. what you feel as opposed to what you're letting kind of stem out of your body, hitting other people with your emotions and your tone and your body language. That all is part of it. So I love that answer. And um, I think I agree that is the foundation. That is one of the most important things because if everybody in the family doesn't feel included, that's where the divide starts to happen and the tension right off the bat. And if you don't, if everyone doesn't feel comfortable there, then your blended family is always going to feel like something's a little bit missing there. So I love what you yeah. said there. Okay. Well, so let me, let me yeah, share please. another statistic from the book that your listeners may find quite interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, in, 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 and this goes to the second stage and maybe I can bring in the second stage a little bit. Is that okay? Yes, please. So the second stage of psychological safety is what we call learner safety. And what that means is that you are able, you feel free and able to engage in all aspects of the learning process. So you can ask questions, you can give and receive feedback, you can experiment, you can even make mistakes without feeling embarrassed or marginalized or rejected in some way. Now, what's interesting is that in a book, one of the statistics that I cite is that in, in this country, in the United States, a student drops out of high school every 26 seconds. Wow. Now, think about that for a minute. Now, that's a very sad statistic. What's behind that is even sadder. What's behind that is families and teachers and, and schools that are not providing the support mm -hmm. because here's what we know. And this I think applies to the blended family in a very profound way. The process of learning is both an intellectual process and an emotional process. And those two processes are bound together. As a matter of fact, we can't separate them. We cannot pull them apart. And so if a person doesn't have the learner safety, the emotional support and protection in the learning process, then the intellectual part of that process is also blocked. Uh, and it becomes a, a big barrier. And so it doesn't, it doesn't happen. And so that's why these students drop out because in almost every case, families and schools have failed the students before the students have failed themselves. That's the sequence. That's, wow. that's how it happens. And so you have to ask yourself 
okay, well, we've got inclusion safety. Does learner safety apply to a blended family? Absolutely. Absolutely it applies because life is about continuing to learn and grow and develop. And so we want that home to be a nurturing environment where we are continuing to learn and grow and we're becoming more effective in the way that we interact, in the way that we teach each other, the way that we learn from each other, the way that we collaborate, the way that we uh, work together every day. So with that, one of the biggest issues that I come across with my listeners is the fact that both of the parents, whether it's exes or, you know, the new parents in the new blended family, doesn't matter. Parents that want to teach their children in very different ways and punish in different ways and discipline in different ways. And so how do you mitigate that with this? Because it happens very, very often. And I always tell parents, try to be on the same page as you possibly can. But we know that that is just not possible in many cases. And what happens a lot in the same home is that maybe one parent is a little bit more lenient with their own children um, than the other parent is with theirs, or a step-parent might be a little bit harder on their stepchildren than their bio-children. All kinds of variances happen like this. And so what would be your advice to kind of deal with that? One thing that I would recommend is that the parents come together before and that they talk through this very carefully about their parenting philosophies. And here would be one diagnostic tool that that they might be able to use. So think about parenting on a spectrum. And that spectrum runs from neglect on one end to coddling on the other end And then if we keep going, uh, it gets to an authoritarian end where there's control and coercion. Mm -hmm. And and so uh, uh, I would would suggest that the parents think about that and talk about that very openly and talk about their philosophy and then why they subscribe to a certain philosophy because they need to get on the same page before they start parenting together. Otherwise, it's not going to work very well, as we all know. And the, the research that we, that we have coming out now is absolutely, it's a game changer. I mean, it's, it's an absolute game changer. You look at the new research that's come out that measures uh, adverse childhood experiences or what we call ACE experiences, it, which means uh, it's really a measure of adversity. And if we've, if we've learned anything over the last few years, we have learned that childhood trauma lingers. Mm. It lingers and it travels into adulthood and it has all kinds of devastating effects. It doesn't just go away. We used to blow it off and just say, you know what? Children are resilient. It's no big deal. You know, they, they, they can bounce back. Well, what we've learned in the last few years from research is that they, that's, that's 
that's not nearly as true as we thought. And they suffer the adverse effects of traumatic experiences. And it has, it has devastating consequences. So when those parents come together, hopefully they can understand that there's tyranny at any extreme. If Nick, so let's go, and, and I would look at this as, as um, not, not just a spectrum, but uh, really three lines. So there's really three poles. So one is extreme neglect. Is that going to work in parenting? Heavens no. That's never going to work. And then if you go to uh, another, another extreme would be um, extreme control, coercion, manipulation. Is that going to work? No, that's not going to work. And then if you go to another extreme, extreme coddling, um, extreme, you know, creating codependency, creating learned helplessness, doing for the child what he or she clearly should be doing for uh, himself or herself. Is that going to work? No, that's not going to work. Stay away from those extremes. Those extremes are harmful. Those extremes are destructive. Those, those extremes, that's, that's why we say there's always tyranny at the extremes. So hopefully the parents can come together and have some frank and candid conversations about what works and doesn't work. And hopefully they can be very honest about the mistakes that they've made and what they've learned and that this is now an opportunity to come together to reset you know we're we're, we're moving into family formation and family identity as a new stage so what are the norms and how are we going to parent and we're going to stay away from the authoritarian extreme we're going to stay away from the neglect extreme we're going to stay away from the enabling extreme. Stay away from those ex extremes. They're not going to do anybody any good. So I think some extremely candid conversations between the parents before they put that, before they bring that family together, I think that's, I, I, I think that, that you have to do that. If you haven't had those conversations and you come into a blended family, uh, wow, you're taking, a, you're taking a very, very big risk. And you're late to the game. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. And that's some of the advice that I give to my listeners all the time is you need to have those difficult conversations before the difficult times happen. That way, you know what you're going to do when it gets to there. I mean, you have to talk about every kind of scenario. Maybe it won't fully prepare you, but at least it'll help kind of get you guys on the same page. So I couldn't agree more. Uh, on to the third is contributor safety. And this one, I really believe really affects the blended family so much because with divorce, parents, you know, and, and by every right, parents have to do what they have to do, right? But we don't really consult our kids when we're getting into a new relationship and say, hey, is this okay? Hey, is this okay that we move? Is this okay that we switch your school? Whatever it might be. A lot of times kids just are along for the ride, especially the younger that they are. And that creates sometimes some bitterness and resentment among the kids feeling like, they don't have a say in anything that happens in their life, which is difficult. Uh, sometimes it's unavoidable, but is that what you mean when you talk about contributor safety? I think in part it does. Contributor safety means that you feel safe to be able to contribute as a full-fledged member of the team. 
to use your gifts, talents, abilities, skills, and to make a difference and to have some measure of autonomy in doing that. Now, do you need guidance and encouragement and direction? Sure you do. But what is it that humans value here? I think that's the question that we have to ask ourselves. So in stage one, the basic human need is that, that we long to belong. We, we, we need, we, we want to be accepted. We need to be accepted. In stage two, we need to learn. In stage three, we want to make a difference and we want to have some self-determination in making a difference. We want, we want some autonomy. We want some ownership. We want some personal responsibility in contributing. And so um, as it relates to the, to the blended family, I think it's, I think it's directly relevant. What, you, you may not be a parent, but I think there needs to be a profound level of respect for those children, for their desires, for their needs, for their wishes, and that that needs to be taken into account. Um, and you now it depends on the on, on on the age of the children. I mean, parenting is what what is parenting? Parenting is the process of bringing a child uh, from a state of dependency to a state of of independence, it's it's bring it's moving them to autonomy. It's moving them to responsible adulthood. It's moving them to a person to personal accountability. That's what we do in a in in parenting. I'll, let me cite a, a, another study, Melissa, that I think is very interesting. So, uh, and, and I'll ask the listeners. So, what's the average bedtime of a of a college freshman? So <laughs> think about that. What do you think it is? Well, it's two a.m. Yeah. Okay. Well, why is it 2 a.m.? It's 2 a.m. because now what's interesting is, is they've done longitudinal studies and they'll survey the same college students when they become juniors and seniors in college. Is it still 2 a.m. when they become juniors and seniors? No, it's not. Why is it not? Because they learned something. <laughs> well, why was it 2 a.m. when they were freshmen? It's 2 a.m. because they didn't, they didn't, the transfer of ownership. This is the critical mechanism in parenting. The transfer of ownership didn't quite take place at home. So when they got out on their own and they went to college, they just, they went crazy. And they hadn't learned that. And so that's, that's an indictment of parenting, of, of parents in a, in a large measure, to a large extent, because what we're trying to do is we're trying to transfer ownership. And, and, and we're trying to transfer that ownership in, in, in a healthy, productive way. That means we acknowledge the, the, the rights and the wishes and the desires of children. And we do our very best to allow them to contribute because that is a basic human need. So I love that. Do you have any tips on in the blended family unit, making sure that everyone has an opportunity to feel that they are a contributor? I'll give you one tip that I think I've seen that helps quite a bit. And that is that um, to, to have uh, what, you, what you might call family councils, that's where you get together as a family and you take up an issue or a decision, maybe there's a decision you need to make, or uh, there's a 
there's something you're trying to decide there. Maybe there are, are challenges or issues or problems that you need to try to resolve. And when you have that family council, yes, the parents have the de facto leadership role, but that, that family council provides an opportunity for each member of the team of the, of the, of the family to voice his or her concerns, point of view, desires, preferences, and to have that taken very seriously in a collaborative process. And not only that, but sometimes to even have the children lead that family council process. It's stunning what can happen when the parents delegate that process of leading that discussion. They're certainly going to guide it and, and direct it, but when they can delegate some of that leadership role, it's pretty amazing what can happen. So that would be a practical uh, application or recommendation that you that the listeners might want to think about. Once again, couldn't agree with you more. I often talk about family meetings. That's what I call them here. But yes, 100% couldn't agree more about that. Um, that's one of the things that I'm very open about saying on my show that we neglected to do. We didn't do it when we should have because, of course, we've been together now for uh, 13 years. And there was not a lot of support for blended families back then. And I didn't know. And that is one of my biggest regrets to this day. Because, of course, if you don't start it and you wait too long, it's a little bit more difficult to implement, especially the older the kids get. So uh, great advice there. And let's move on to the last, uh, Tim, challenger safety. I'm really familiar with this one because I have <laughs> teenagers now. And okay. three of my teenagers are daughters. And Girls like to challenge everything, don't they? And we used to teach the kids, you know, because we've gone from tantrums. And as they got older, we used to tell them, look, if you can, if you want to challenge our decision, and if you want to explain your case in a calm manner and you can make sense, we'll listen to you. And there's been plenty of times that they've done that. And it, they've actually changed our mind because they came to us in a good way, as opposed to when they, you know, kick and stamp and complain and whine, then we're not as likely to give in. But let's talk about that uh, challenger safety a little bit. Sure. So challenger safety is the fourth stage. It's the final stage. It's the culminating stage. And what it means is that you can challenge the status quo without, again, the fear of being embarrassed or punished or marginalized. Now, the reason that challenger safety is the highest stage and the, and the last stage is because to challenge normally in a social setting puts you at the most risk personally. You're at the highest state of personal vulnerability and personal exposure because you're challenging. You're challenging the way things are done and, and that's a risk and that's not easy to do. So it, so the level of psychological safety that you need in order to accommodate that has to be the highest possible level. Now, this is where in organizations of all kinds, uh, it doesn't matter if it's a, it's a team, it's, it's, it's at school, it's at work, and, or if it's a, it, at home with the family, this is a challenge for leaders to cultivate and sustain challenger safety because it 
it seems they, they interpret it often to, to, to threaten them personally. So it comes across as a, as a personal threat or a challenge. But this, is, this, this level of psychological safety, this challenger level is exactly what we need because we're always trying to get better. And, and so think about our families. I mean, I think about my wife and our children and our family, we're always trying to get better. And we, we are not infallible as parents. We make mistakes. So we need to be open. And the operating assumption for parents is that, guess what? Your children can teach you <laughs> and you need to be open. Uh, you're not, you, you haven't arrived and you need to be, you know, this embracing this, this principle of continuous development and ongoing improvement. What does that mean? That means that, that means that our approach as parents needs to be one of humility. It needs to be one of openness. Now we have our roles, but we don't, we don't hide behind our positional authority. That's a cop-out. It's a complete abdication of leadership. Uh, to use positional power uh, to, uh, and, to, and to shut people down based on positional power, that's not going to accomplish anything. And so we need to give our children a license to disagree with us and ask them to use it. Now, we also need to teach them how to use it. And you, M Melissa, you were just talking about this. It has to be done with civility and with respect and with 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 composure and with poise. And we don't always do that. You know, there are times when uh, we, we, we're not as, we, we don't um, perform as well as we should. And, and that is a great opportunity to apologize and ask for forgiveness. And if we don't think we make mistakes then we haven't looked in the mirror lately, yeah. but challenger safety is, this is, this is really the bellwether of a healthy culture. So if parents can establish an environment uh, where they accommodate the challenge, they accommodate dissent, they listen with the intent to comprehend and to understand, it's incredibly validating to children. It's, it's, and, and it's real. Uh, and they will find that they are improving as well through this collaborative process. That's what challenger safety is all about. I love that one. And yeah, my kids have taught me probably the most lessons in my life out of anything else. And I think that it's really important to be able to learn from your kids, but it's hard to put the ego aside sometimes as parents, but also even with your partner, it's, you know, my husband has taught me so much and sometimes it's hard, but you know, the people closest to you can teach you the biggest lessons because I feel like you're in life with them to help each other, like you said, improve. And sometimes that means saying the things that are hard for the other person to hear. So that's really, really great advice. Uh, for the listeners, this book is truly amazing. And it doesn't matter whether you are interested in it for your family unit, or maybe you're a teacher, maybe you're a coach, maybe you are heading up a big company or a team. This is an amazing book. Tim, can you please tell people where to go to follow you and your work? Where can they find you? Sure. 
Well, you can go to our website, which is leaderfactor.com, or you can find me on LinkedIn and I'd be happy to connect with anyone out there. And what, tell us a little bit about Leader Factor. So Leader Factor, we are a consulting and training and assessment organization. And we work with organizations of all types. And we, we try to help uh, accelerate the performance of the members of those organizations, whether they are leaders at the top or whether they, uh, they might be individual contributors that have just been hired. But we're all about human capital and about leadership development in any context. That's wonderful. And for the listeners, I'm going to put Timothy's links in the show notes, including where to grab the book. Uh, Tim, before you go, just maybe one last piece of advice for my struggling blended families. Sure. So I do say this to leaders sometimes, and I'll, I, I think it applies to uh, all of us that, that are trying to raise families and trying to do a good job. Um, and that is to lead as if you have no power, that it is strictly based on influence and love, and that there's there's no positional power, and that you are there to, uh, to serve and to build and to encourage and to make better. I think that sense of stewardship, if you are infused as a parent with that sense of stewardship, you can create a family environment that is even beyond your expectations. Wow, I love it. Timothy, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's my pleasure. Well, I hope that you enjoyed that conversation between myself and Timothy Clark. And as promised, I've got a giveaway of his autographed copy of his book that I know that you will love to read. The winner today is Jessica Connolly. Jessica Connolly, 816. I will definitely be contacting you to arrange shipping of the book for you. Congratulations, you're the winner. And if anyone else is wondering how do you win, and I know that I haven't been altogether consistent with my giveaways. I'm trying to get back to consistency for you, but usually once a month, I will be giving away something. Sometimes it's a book. Sometimes it's something from Amazon. It's going to be, uh, actually in the future, we're going to be doing some blended family merchandise. That's going to be coming soon. So if you want to be automatically entered into win any of these monthly giveaways, all you need to do is be a member of my list and you can find that at blendedfamilypodcast.com slash subscribe to join our monthly newsletter. And I promise it won't spam you, but it's a good way for me to stay in contact with you as well as win these prizes. So thank you for listening. Have a great week. Bye. You have been listening to the Blended Family Podcast. For more information, please visit the website at blendedfamilypodcast.com. Remember, to create the peaceful home you desire, all you need is love.